Outbound's tough. Cold email is really tough right now as well. And one of the hardest parts about sending emails is just knowing whether the heck or not that they were delivered. (laughs) Did the email make it through? And statistically, about a third of the emails that you send will even get opened anyways. And that's if the open tracking metrics are actually accurate on the tools that you're using, which many of them are not. So we're going to dig into a couple of things today. I think you'll find really interesting. We're going to talk all about cold email deliverability with a guest that we've had on the show before, Jed Mowerly. He is the head of outbound sales at Mailshake. We're also going to dig into what he's done building outbound teams from scratch. But before we get to that, my name is Jason Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad. We're all about helping you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a rep, SDR, BDR, account executive, that sort of thing, and you're doing prospecting to set meetings, you're making cold calls, sending cold emails, maybe you're doing discovery calls as well, demos, bringing deals to close, or you're a sales leader managing those folks, you're definitely in the right place. So with Jed today, we're going to talk about stuff like whether or not you should have a new domain for your cold emails, how to warm emails up properly, how to set up proper authentication. Should you put links in emails? Should you not put links in? We're also going to dig into the journey that he's gone through in building a team from scratch and also going from, you know, previously he was uh, in an SDR role and then an SDR team lead. So what the journey has been like for him learning how to do full cycle sales. So there's going to be a lot of really, really great stuff in there that you're going to enjoy. Before we get to it, I have an ask. If you enjoyed the episode today, I would love for you to subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified when new episodes come out and leave an honest rating or review so that other people can, can find it just like yourself. All right, that's all I got. Let's get to the interview. So the last time we had you on the podcast, you were the number one SDR, I believe, at PandaDoc. And then we caught up, I don't know, a month ago or whenever it was, and I saw that you were at Mailshake now. So what's the what's what's kind of the backstory behind that? How'd you get involved with Mailshake? What are you working on nowadays? Yeah, man. Um it's been a it's been a while since we last spoke. I think uh what's changed is well, first of all, I've always known I wanted to join like a, a smaller startup. Um, A, mm-hmm. so I could learn have an opportunity to learn more of like the full cycle and closing side as well. And B just to like, I think the impact that you have when you're at a smaller, smaller startup is is super exciting, super fun. So that was something I was always looking for. Um, and the right opportunity came along. I've known uh, Mailshake's co-founders for honestly, like two or three years now. So I was already familiar with the company um, and the timing made sense. So I, uh, I made the switch about five or six months ago. So had you always wanted to get into full cycle sales too? Not necessarily. I mean, I think there's there's people who have probably experienced this where like you do really good as an SDR, then you become an SDR manager and you start moving up the SDR ladder, right? And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, when am I going to learn this closing side? When am I going to make that transition, right? Yeah. You get to a point where it's like, if I go to the closing side, it's not necessarily a step back, but you might make less money initially, for example. Um, yeah. And so my thought process was like, what's a way I can learn that closing side? And typically when you're at a smaller startup, you know, you're going to wear a lot more hats. And so that's kind of the opportunity I saw is like wearing multiple hats without necessarily having to take a a step back. Your career, dude, has just like launched so crazy in the last couple of years, man. You know, (laughs) 
Yeah. How long have you been doing this, dude? <laughs> like in total? <laughs> um, so about three years. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, about, about dude. Do you ever think about that? Like three years ago, you probably didn't know very much at all about what like being in tech was or sales or anything like that. Uh, were, were you in high school still when you first started working with PandaDoc? Um, I actually, so I graduated a year early. So technically my first oh. year of PandaDoc was like my senior year of high school. Um, cause Dude. I was homeschooled. So that, that's normal for homeschoolers <laughs> to graduate a year early. But yeah, it was, <laughs> I honestly just started and you know how sales goes. Uh, it just kind of yeah. went by in a flash cause it's, Fuck, it's nonstop. Man. So yeah. Are you old enough to drink yet? Um, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> you didn't think about that one. <laughs> Who's listening? <laughs> right. Uh, let's get into some of the stuff you're up to at uh, at Mailshake. I know a big part of what you're doing is building out this sort of outbound sales team from scratch. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mailshake, from what I understand, has been very much product-led growth. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those yeah. tools that's just caught on like the virality of that tool is really caught on it's been kind of a self-serve type of thing and you're it sounds like being tasked to kind of going in and looking at hey where can we land larger accounts and people with you know dozens or hundreds of users versus these one-off you know kind of signups what's uh what's that journey been like so far yeah um man it's tough because there's a lot of competitors and going up market when it's never been done before it's like when i was at pandadoc you know, we were building the outbound team from scratch, yes, but we we've done it before with larger outbound or with larger upmarket customers. Now that I'm at Mailshake, like we have not closed those larger customers yet. Um, so it's definitely mm-hmm. been tough, but it's been really rewarding. The fun thing is, anytime we do close one of those deals or get a meeting with one of those larger deals, um, that's like super exciting and fulfilling. Um, but it's been a lot of like messaging research, right? So I have an idea of where ICP is but I don't want to just start blasting them with messaging. Um, it's been a lot of like reaching out to people who I think are my ICP asking like, Hey, what problems are you facing in this area? We help with email deliverability and sales engagement. Um, and so yeah. just trying to like interview different people to kind of figure out where should we start? What industries, what personas? Um, so it's been a lot of like meticulous uh, messaging and persona review, interviewing folks, that sort of thing. How do you approach that? And the reason I ask is that I think the position you're in is a lot of people listening to this are working for a scrappy startup or doing something similar like what you're doing where we're being tasked with going up market. And we've never done that before or after new industry verticals. How are you kind of setting up those tests? How are you, how are you thinking about doing this in a way that where you're not, you know, like spreading yourself too thin or, or not really capturing the kind of data that you need to firmly know, does this work or not? Yeah. Um, So initially it started with, okay, if we want to go up market, what are the solutions in the space already? Right. And there are several solutions. Um, And so I had to figure out like, what is our key differentiator? Um, Because, because the issue before they tried outbound at Mailshake, but we were just coming with the the same messaging that all the other competitors have. And it's really hard to differentiate that way. Um, So I did a lot of research, like did trials with all of our competitors um, we're, we're using the platforms, interviewing people who use them and really trying to figure out like, where can we fit in, um, to actually have impactful messaging that, that doesn't make us just sound like all of our other competitors. Um, and so I found that and you 
heard me talk a lot about email deliverability, that sort of thing. Um, and that's kind of the, the angle I've taken. I've done a lot of research on our competitors and now it's what's the angle we're going to take. And it's, you know, that one differentiator we have. Um, so that's kind of how it started from there. Uh, what was the follow up to your question? It was like, how am I testing that sort of, uh, yeah. How have you approached, yeah. How have you approached testing it? Is it like, I think what, what we talked about last time, I don't know if you ended up trying this or not. If you are, I'm curious, just going after industry verticals that like outside of SaaS, you know, I imagine there's a, so much green space or greenfield or whatever they call it. But I'm just kind of curious how you set up this experiment. Is it, hey, we're going to go after three industry verticals or, hey, I have a hypothesis that this is going to work. We test it for a month and then move on. How do you how do you kind of think about just even testing something new to see if it works? How do you set that up? How do you think about it? Yeah. So that's the thing. Typically, I would look at inbound data, except the thing is we're not getting the upmarket yeah. accounts we want inbound. So there's no inbound yeah, data to look dude. at. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was, yeah, it's, it's hard <laughs> expert mode. Um, yeah. That was a tough part. Um, no, what I did was honestly, uh, like I said, I interviewed folks in a bunch of different industries. In the first month, it was a bunch of different industries. So SaaS, professional services, uh, marketing yeah. agencies, like you name it, I was interviewing I know sales is our persona, right? So I was interviewing sales personas, offering a gift card for like 15 minutes of their time, that sort of thing. Um, and then I started telling my SDRs, okay, like, hey, you're going to go after marketing agencies. You're going to go after SaaS. You're going to go after personas. I like to align SDRs to one specific vertical so they can get really good with the messaging and yeah. talking to those people. Um, so that's where it started. And then from there, I was trying to find like, whenever I'm prospecting, I want to do it around some sort of like buying trigger, right? So um, within those verticals, we tried to find the lowest hanging fruit just to start, you know, getting some traction. So recent job changers, people that are hiring SDRs, that sort of thing. Um, we were looking using like, uh, technographic data to build our messaging around people who we know are using specific competitors. Um, and so we tried to grab the lowest hanging fruit within those different verticals. And then, um, based on the conversations we had with the initial meetings we booked, that's how we started to kind of iterate our messaging for, for those future prospects. Yeah. What are you finding that's working so far? So what's been working the most is, uh, like I said, deliverability. So kind of to, to give you and like the audience context, um, a lot of SDRs are experiencing this right now where they're sending a lot of emails, um, but the open rates and reply rates are super low and they, they, they test different messaging. Um, but that's not necessarily the solution to the problem. The problem is that a lot mm. of their emails are ending up in spam because yep. Gmail, all these different Outlook, they're they're tightening their restrictions on what it takes to get into the inbox. Um, cold email volume has increased a ton. So a lot of these emails are automatically going to spam. And so that's one of the key problems we solve through some of the tools we use like email warmup, DNS setup, that sort of thing. And so what we've offered is we know this is a problem. So we've been offering basically like free consultations around this problem that we know people have. And so we're not even really pitching it like a Mailshake demo. We're just talking about the problem on LinkedIn or yeah. educating our customers through email saying like, hey, um, email deliverability is a big problem for a lot of people. Like, And then offering tips on how to improve that. If you want to learn more, we can do a 15-minute consultation on your email deliverability and find some ways you can start landing in the inbox. And so we don't even talk about Mailshake in our emails. We literally just talk about this problem that we know our persona is facing. Um, and then we offer a free consultation. Um, and that's what's had the most success, right? Because it's that's a really valuable 
thing for the buyer as opposed to just like a, a demo. Yeah, that's interesting. I wish more companies would think about what their give is. You know, if I'm just because you came from PandaDoc, what would be really cool for an enterprise meeting is for them to do like a free proposal review. Yeah. You know, how you could structure something or just to show here's how we see the best in class companies structure their proposals. Because that's something that if you're at a company, you don't really see what other people's proposals look like, usually in, in enterprise, you know? For me, yeah. I'm thinking that would be like bring a send a cold call recording from someone on your team before the the call, and we'll kind of dissect like how we might approach training around that, you know, or a cold right. email or whatever. It's like something, just a give. It's pretty smart, dude. And the the content angle too is because I see you talk about it a lot. I mean, it's like all over your LinkedIn headline. It's in your about. Yeah. You're creating content about it. You brought it up, I think, in the webinar that I was uh, running today. I think you had mentioned something about it because just we were, you know, we were talking about it today. Yeah. So, finding out a big problem that your audience is facing, uh, finding some sort of value, like real tangible value, to give them in exchange for their time. What if we start to kind of get into some of the email deliverability stuff? What are some of your tips? Like, what are you? What do you guys see companies mess up on? And what are some of your tips? Yeah, there's a lot of big ones. Um, so one of the first ones that's starting to get more popularized, I'd say, and talked about is sending on like your primary domain. So, and we saw this happen at Pandadoc as well. You have an SDR team of like two or three, they're all sending on your primary company domain that everybody in the company is using. Then you scale that SDR team. It's like 20 SDRs now, they're all sending 200 emails a day. And no surprise, emails or Gmail starts like locking your accounts. You start getting spam reports that affects the entire company. So you can like burn your company's domain, which affects everybody up to the CEO. And so setting up a separate subdomain, so like we have mailshake.co that we send from, um, that's gonna protect your domain for everybody. And then when you do set up that domain, the next step is properly warming it up, right? So what warm up means yeah. is like, you're having emails and engagement happening with that new mailbox. And so what a lot of teams do is they hire a new SDR and they say, okay, start sending 100 emails a day. Um, you need to do that in a way that's like step-by-step. Step. So work your way up to 100 emails a day. And so you can use like an email warm-up tool where it automatically sends emails uh, to a database of contacts, which then responds to them. And that starts to show the email servers that it's like a reputable sender, that sort of thing. So using email warm-up is another really big thing that um, companies are kind of missing out on. Um, and then another really big one too, is like setting up your DNS records. So it's basically just like having authentication for your domain to send cold emails. And especially if you're targeting like upmarket or enterprise, IT teams will not let you through without those DNS records set up. They have filters for that. And a lot of people don't really know where to start because it's really complicated or technical issue. Um, but it's really about communicating with your IT team, doing research, setting that stuff up. Um, those are probably three really big ones that, that people kind of miss out on and that make the, the biggest impact. Yeah. The first one has changed so much because my advice used to be a couple of years ago, if it's a really large company, the cold email volume is such a small percentage of the company's email volume that it doesn't really make a difference. But yeah, setting up a new domain for your SDR team. I mean, one, it's it's the best insurance policy. You have nothing to lose by doing it. You know, right. so setting up a mailshake.co, I got to ask you this. Let me know because I see mixed opinions on this and there's mixed like consensus with content 
What about uh, sending from a mail.mailshake.com, like a subdomain? Because marketing teams do this a lot. I know that. <clears throat> yeah, I don't have all the information on that. I We don't do that. Um, I don't know. Like My initial thought is that makes you look more spammy or like likely to end up in spam because all the marketing emails with that end up in my spam folder anyways. I really don't know the answer to that though. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. So easiest thing to do would be to set up a new domain. So a .co or a getmailshake.com or whatever variation, you know, if that's what you want to do for your domain. Yeah. Set up a new domain, start to warm it up. You can use an email warm up tool, or if you want to warm it up manually, like sign up for a bunch of newsletters, right? Um, that yeah. way you have emails floating into your inbox, but warm up tools just automate the, the process of like sending emails, getting engagement and showing Gmail that you're a reputable sender. And then there's little things, right? Like removing links from your signatures, removing images from your signatures. Um, yeah, there's that. That's another big one that, that still teams aren't doing, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that in that webinar too with links, like really minimizing the amount of like uh, multimedia in your email signatures or your emails. Do you guys see any deliverability differences when you like embed an image, let's say into an email, like in the body or a video or anything like that? Definitely. I mean, it makes it more likely to land in spam. Um, I think there's been a lot of data on it though. It's like you want to just have your first couple emails be completely plain text like my signature is literally just my name and my title, no links or anything. And then once you've yeah. seen a couple opens, that's when you can start sending videos, images, because for the most part, once you're in, you're in. And so future emails will let you into the inbox. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a smart outbound tactic anyways to only send videos and do extra stuff for people that are showing some sign of engagement or that they're getting your stuff. Um, yeah, the yeah. warming the emails up too. I think it's good to be explicit with that. What you're talking about is I think a very common thing with all the companies, because there's a ton of companies that are hiring right now. And just in general, it's like they'll set up a SDR's email address for day one, and then they'll have them start sending hundreds of emails every week, like week two, you yeah. know, like having a gradual warm up, something that looks realistic. Cause I don't know, does sending cold emails, does that violate Gmail and outlooks like terms of service? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. Like, it's literally... I think it does, too. They don't want <laughs> you to send cold emails. None of them want you to use a sales engagement tool, right? And so when yeah. you have your... Like, it, we can get so technical and keep going further down. Everything we're doing is, like, you put all these pieces into place for deliverability to basically break Gmail and Outlook's rules the least amount possible, right? Because, like, at the core, you're yeah. breaking their rules, but you can kind of get around that by using all these different strategies because it's never going to be perfect. Um, but yeah, that, that's why like on your sales engagement tool, don't have your emails scheduled to send all right away, break it out. So it's like gradually sending throughout the day. Um, there's even something super technical. If you use pretty much any sales engagement tool, let you do this. It's called custom domain tracking. And so if you're using like sales off outreach or whatever, just go to your uh, CSM, your account manager, ask to set up custom domain tracking. and that basically allows you to not send in a shared server with sales offer outreach or whatever sales engagement tool. You're basically white labeling that domain. So it's sending out through your own and that makes it more likely to land in an inbox. So it's super technical. Like we can keep going, but there's a whole bunch of things. And I encourage anybody listening to, to do research on that because um, it's, it's only going to help you get more emails in the inbox. 
Yeah, it's crazy, dude. We're going to, uh, I think we're going to get into a place in the not too distant future where it becomes really hard to use sales engagement tools, you know, where it's going to be really, really restricted. And you know, what's going to happen is like LinkedIn is going to get really popular for prospecting even more so than now in like phone and stuff like that. Um, Okay. So if we kind of shift gears a little bit with the team that you're building, what have you learned about building an outbound team from scratch? And, and in particular, what I'm thinking about is more like the people side, you know, of this, what is that mm-hmm. progression like? like the hiring when you decided to hire all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So when I joined, I had one SDR, but that was it. Now I have three SDRs and two AEs. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll start with like, what I didn't want to do is like month one, hire a bunch of SDRs and AEs and say like, okay, I'm still trying to figure this out. So like, and then we're all trying to figure it out together. So I wanted to start on the SDR side and like build out some sort of process myself. So like I said, that first month I was interviewing people, I was making a lot of calls. I was tapping people in my network as well to try to get meetings that way. Um, And I felt like I built somewhat of a repeatable motion, some messaging that was working, some campaigns or sequences. So that's kind of when I decided to hire my first couple SDRs is when I myself as a manager could prove that I could book 10, 20 plus meetings a month. So once I did that, then I can hire SDRs and get them bought in and say, hey, this isn't impossible. This is possible, right? Like they have to see that I can do it as well. Um, when it comes to hiring those folks, I need to hire people that are bought into the vision uh, of, of being at a small startup. Things are going to change. The strategy is going to change a lot. Outbound is brand new. Uh, but on the good side is that there's tons of potential. So I need people that are hungry and that are... Um, excited with the potential of building an outbound team. Like those are the folks I was looking for. I didn't want people who were just looking for the playbook to already be figured out. Um, I was looking for people that are going to help me write and figure out the playbook. Um, so yeah, I hired those, those second and third SDRs in that second month, I would say. And by the third month, they were pretty much fully ramped up. Um, and then I was doing full cycle for the first basically three months. I had somebody else from inbound helping me out a little bit. But same thing. I didn't want to hire an AE until there was a, a playbook in place, until I could prove that I could close a couple of deals. Because um, I don't want to just throw them in, give them a random quota and say, okay, try to figure it out. Uh, we closed a few deals. We started to find a process that was good enough to get started. And then we looked for that AE that was also ready to help us write that playbook as well. And that was in that, I'd say, third, fourth month. It is so much, man. <laughs> Props to you, dude. It's just so much like new stuff, you know, all at once. You're yeah. doing what someone starting a business would do, you know? Uh, that first yeah. thing you said, proving out the model yourself, um, is that something that was like kind of your decision to do? Was that something they advised you to do? Was it kind of a mix of the two? Like, how did you come to the conclusion that, hey, I shouldn't hire right away? I should actually figure out how to do this myself first. Um, it was from a lot of mentorship from people outside. I saw a really good Scott yeah. Lee post, for example, talking about like first 90 days as a new sales leader, at like a new org. And it was like, mm-hmm. first month is like research. Second month is, uh, like do it, like doing it yourself. Right. And the third month is documenting all of that and starting to hire. Um, so I guess that's kind of how I decided it was a lot of mentorship. And I think that's another thing. If you join a big, a, a new startup. Um, there's no like VP of sales above me. There's our, it's our co-founders. I'm, I'm reporting to the CEO. Um, and so I don't have that person that's just necessarily done it before on the sales side to go to. So 
you know, tapping your network and having good mentors uh, on the sales side has been super crucial for me. And that's kind of how I came to that decision of how I wanted to hire and approach building that strategy. Yeah. I love that because uh, I, I wanted to dig in with you there because I see so many companies make that mistake of trying to scale something too quickly and they end up scaling something that's broken or that doesn't even really exist. And it's kind of a build it as we, as we go, you know, fix the airplane as it's crashing, you know, kind of thing, Right. which, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, it doesn't really make sense. The mentorship piece is I think so crucial too. It's, it's uh you're just really proactive about stuff, man. I mean, like, look at your entire career, you know, like the content you create and developing your brand and just all the stuff that you've done. I think that's just really good. Hey, if I can't get the mentorship, like I need at my company, um, because I am becoming like the mentor essentially, like, where am I going outside of that? Like seeking help, you know, you're very proactive about that. Um, you said something about hiring. I thought was kind of interesting too, is like hiring for people that kind of have the desire and the personality to work in a startup. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Was there specific things that you looked for or specific questions that you maybe asked or anything like that to find someone that's like, okay, being in an environment that's constantly changing versus something that's like, Hey, we've been doing this for a decade. Here's the playbook. You just need to do this. Yeah. I think it's, it started with being like really upfront, like, Hey, I've been in SDR here for three months, for two months. This is what I've done so far. And like really laying out to them that like, there's no like defined playbook. Your quota will, your comp plan will change because we will find things out. Like outbound's been, we've been doing this for two months. So like everything is going to change and like being really upfront with them and then seeing how they react. It's really easy to see how somebody reacts to that. Like, like, like you kind of ask questions like, you know, are you comfortable, you know, asking what's your comfortable comfortability level with change and, and, and that sort of thing, or what sort of experience you have with that. And then, and like looking for like, you know, um, body language cues, how they react to that. That's, that's been the biggest thing. It's hard to pinpoint something tactical, but it's like really seeing how they react to you telling them stuff. That's maybe not necessarily what everybody's looking for, but the people who are looking for that, they get excited with that. And they're like, Oh, I see opportunity. And those are the people I try to pinpoint and, and pull out. Well, I think there's a lot tactical there, actually. It's like super transparent and you're owning the position. Like we're not hiding yeah. from anything, you know? Something as simple as being super transparent about the comp. Hey, the comp plan will change. Yeah. Most companies don't say shit like that. You know what I mean? And they know that yeah. shit's going to change. There's so many things that some of these startups, I mean, there's like literally the sales targets changing like every month. Like the activity yeah. requirements and the comp and how people are commissioned and what the quota is and just being upfront about it. I know it's really nice because it sounds like you have people that really want to be in that type of environment and thrive in chaos. Like I'm one of those people that's more of a startup, you know, kind of guy. I, yeah. I, I never liked working at a big company where the processes were really defined and I was like kind of put into a box. Yeah. Um, like that's going to be really appealing for me early in my career. You know, and just finding people that want that, you know, I think is, is really key. Yeah. And if you're, and if you're that type of person, like you, I'm sure you connect with those, those people, right? So like, you know, who yeah. those people are like when you're interviewing. So yeah, those are the people I was looking for. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crucial if you're building something from scratch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's the journey been like for you learning full cycle sales? Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, it's been fun. Like I, that's another thing about being a smaller startup is you have to learn really fast 
and be like, okay, that didn't work. Move on. Like, what do I need to learn? Being proactive, like you said. Um, few things off the top of my head, like you have to really prioritize deals in the right way. So it's been a lot of like upfront contracting, like, hey, when we reconnect on this date, are you comfortable with giving me a yes or no? Like, are, can we move forward by this date? Because the last thing I want to do is have 50 deals in my pipeline that I'm endlessly following up with uh, yeah. when I also have to build a team. And so that's been the biggest thing is like prioritizing deals, getting stuff out of my pipeline, figuring out what's a real deal. And then um, honestly, yeah, that's the biggest thing. When you're full cycle, you don't have time to just mess around with uh, deals that aren't legit. Yeah. Let's dig into that a little bit because uh, my guess, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you have the ability to do that because you know how to prospect and set a lot of meetings. So there's a lot of choice that you have to say no to people. You don't really like need the deal. Can you talk about that just from a mindset standpoint? Was that hard at first just to like be that like blunt, (laughs) you know, with a prospect? You know what I mean? No, it is. Yeah, Uh, it it definitely was, um, especially coming from like an SDR mindset where you're like, you just want every, you assume everything's going to close. You want it all to be qualified, that sort of thing. Um, But I think when there's like a, when there's a number on your head as a leader, you, I think you have to like come to the realization that like, um, like this is the number I have to hit and you have to break it down. Like how many deals do I need to get to that number? Um, I don't know. I think I was just really good at understanding. Like, I know I need to hit this number and like understand the consequences if I don't. Um, and yeah. then using that to prioritize the right deals. So it's kind of just having that bigger picture in mind, especially at a smaller startup. Like if you're not hitting those revenue numbers and we're bootstrapped as well. So it's even more, it's, it's like you really have to show that you're a positive ROI. Um, and that helps make it click for me. Like, okay, I got to find the right deals, that sort of thing. Yeah. Saying no, being transparent. It's, it's like, uh, you're pressure testing the deals, you know, you're, you're testing how serious someone actually is. Cause I'm sure you have some people that say, you know, actually this would be a waste of time. Yeah, That's exactly. And it's, especially <laughs> with salespeople, like you just, you, like yeah. hey, we're both in sales, like the last thing I want to do is endlessly chase you down. Um, yeah. You know, like, let's, like when we meet again on this date or like, do you actually see this being something that, that you guys can implement? Um, they appreciate it. They'll let you know and you can relate on that sense. So I've, I've been lucky to sell to salespeople. And um, yeah, absolutely. It's like, so I've noticed this as somebody who takes demos myself. Um, I'm, I don't like confrontation. So I'm typically like, yeah, like let's meet again. Sure. And I don't always tell them the full story. And so like, I'm just trying to, you know, be pretty blunt with prospects so I can really get the full story and, uh, you know, not waste anybody's time because it's, everybody does it. Yeah. I have only in my career very recently, maybe in the last three to six months, been comfortable being really transparent with a salesperson that's trying to sell to me. It's hard, dude, because I don't want to be a sure. jerk with someone. And especially if they're trying really hard, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or any of that kind of stuff either. And it's just the awkwardness, you know? Yeah. I don't know about what your experience has been. A lot of people don't respond really well when I'm very blunt with them. And I'm never a jerk about it. I'm just like, no, I just don't see the fit. And like, this is just not aligning with what I want. That triggers a lot of people too, where it gets yeah. weird for them. And I just, I just don't like those situations. And it's interesting hearing that from you because- I think in sales, we we could, in general, be more mindful of that. You know, what are we doing to create an environment that's like really comfortable for the prospect to be really open with us? 
Yeah. I think it was easier for me because I've, I've been on, on the other end a lot. Yeah. As of like over the last year, like taking a lot of demos. And so I'm like, and I'm selling to myself. I'm selling to other like, you know, earlier stage yeah. sales leaders, maybe, or teams that are growing. So like, you know, if you're a sales rep who maybe wasn't in that position, I think it goes back to what I said earlier too, like interview your manager, interview your VP of sales or whoever it is you sell to, interview those personas and ask them about their experience going through demos. What are they like? What are they not like? And uh, just try to build a good experience for them. And so, yeah, I just try to like say like, hey, I you, kind of calling it out, right? Um, like, hey, nobody likes to uh, nobody likes to tell a salesperson no or like make things drag on. So if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Totally cool. If you want to let me know, you know what I mean. Just just kind of calling it out. Yeah, no, I love that the invitation for you know, transparency. You know, I love um, exactly. Is is there anything like when you look at your time doing full cycle sales right now? Is there Anything that if you were giving someone else advice, that's you know, maybe an SDR that recently got promoted to an AE or someone that's you know in their first year or two of doing full cycle sales, is there anything that you would do differently? Like if you could do the last five or six months over again of learning how to do full cycle sales, like what would you do differently? There's so there's two sides to it. So like the first side is like yeah, speaking as a full cycle sales rep, um, it's really easy for like the prospecting side and the closing side to like bleed into each other. So like Mm -hmm. I'll be running a demo and now I'm just prospecting. I'm answering LinkedIn messages. I'm sending emails. I'm running the next demo. Um, That really killed my brain. It'd be like three, four o'clock. Yeah. And I'd be like, damn, I, I am worn out. I like, I have no, like no actual creative brain energy. So what I started doing is like, I tried as hard as possible to only book my demos like after 12 o'clock. So all of my demos yeah. and sales calls and meetings were after that set time. So I set my calendar invite to only be during that block. Um, and some people might say, well, oh, well, you, you know, people aren't going to book meetings with you. Well, if you book the right meetings, people are going to find time with you. You know what I mean? And then my prospecting blocks were in the morning. So I really separated those two. So that I'm not even thinking about prospecting when I'm focusing on deals and closing. Um, and that helped me be yeah. really efficient. That's That's been the biggest thing is like really separating those two those two time blocks. And then the second side to it in terms of like, while you're, you know, if you're also managing a team, like kind of being a player coach is uh, just documenting everything is like creating loom videos, creating tons of Google docs, because you need to focus on deals. You need to focus on coaching. So anytime you figure something out, throw it in the Slack channel, create a Google doc, create a loom video um, so that everybody is as autonomous as possible. Um, that's been huge for me. So I don't have to just keep jumping on zoom calls to figure things out with, uh, with reps on my team. It's like, we're all trying to be as autonomous as possible and document everything. Yeah. It's almost, uh, it's interesting when I talk to sales leaders, it's a similar kind of concept where it's like treat it, what you're doing like a course creator would, if someone was creating a course, anytime they got a new question that they didn't have a module for, they would just record a module for it. So they never have to answer it again. Yeah. You know, so you're oh, right. this environment where people can coach themselves, you know, and that's really cool to your first point though, about context switching. I, I guess I never really thought about it quite in that way. So we just hired a Ethan Parker just came on full time yes. uh, last month. Uh, so that's August at the time of recording this. And <laughs> I was gone on a Tuesday. So he had to kind of fill in and help with a little bit of the coaching that I normally do. 
And he sent me a message on Slack. He's like, dude, I didn't realize the context switching, man. Like I'm exhausted because <laughs> like I'll switch from prospecting to writing LinkedIn posts and responding on LinkedIn to doing sales calls, to doing a coaching or training call. And you're right, dude, it is really exhausting. So like with prospecting, I feel like that's like a sprinting kind of activity. And then selling yeah. is a little slower paced. You know, you're a little bit more in the zone. You want to get deeper. You want those types of stuff. That's really good advice. Do you theme out your days or anything like that? Like certain days of the week to focus on certain stuff? Or right now, is it mostly just, hey, prospecting in the morning, sales calls in the afternoon? Is there any other type of productivity or time management type of things that you've found to be helpful? That's pretty much it. And and, and that's the biggest thing, right? Like Fridays, for example, are pretty much when I'm doing a lot of like thinking work, like reviewing messaging, reviewing a lot of deals. Don't typically have a ton of demos. Um, but I don't really have any themes as far as that perspective goes, but yeah, everything I'm doing, I'm trying to do it in one block. Like I write five LinkedIn posts a week. I write all of them on Sunday mornings and then I schedule them out for the week. Um, I just think about what are the activities I do throughout the week and then how can I group them together into one smaller block? Uh, because yeah, context at any, you know, growing startup, it's always going to be an issue context switching. Yeah. And then the other thing I took away from you too, is not being afraid to say no. Yeah. You could lose a meeting by taking meetings only in the afternoon, but it probably wasn't that good of a meeting then. If that's the only time that they're willing to meet with you, the, uh, yeah, the context switching, that's the thing I like the energy part of time management and productivity, I think is not really talked about very much. There's a lot of like block and tackle, like how to block things off and how much and how to get things done really fast. But separation of activities is kind of interesting. It's almost like part of the day I'm doing this and the other part of the day I'm doing this. There's kind of like a natural break, you know, between those two things. Right. Yeah. And it feels, it feels so good. Like you have a lot more brain capacity by the end of the day. And I also think the yeah. other part with like productivity tips or time blocking, time management is it, it depends on the person. I don't think there's like one right way. Um, yeah. Like, are you a morning person? Are you an afternoon person? Um, for me, first thing I want to do when I log in is like, I want to prospect. I want to answer my emails. I want to cold call. I want to do the stuff that maybe makes me a little bit more nervous, maybe, you know, um, yeah. or the stuff that I, I want to get out of the way. Um, so that's just me, but you might be opposite. You know, you got to think like maybe right when you come back from lunch is the perfect time for you to prospect because you're fully energized and you're most alert and ready for, for demos and calls in the morning. So yeah, kind of the way I think about it. Love it, dude. Well, this has been great, man. I think one of the, I got a lot of stuff from you on just the deliverability side of stuff with domains, warming up emails you know, the links, all of that kind of stuff. And then also this building the team. I, I love the uh, proving it out yourself and documenting yeah. before you, you scale it. Um, before you take off, dude, where can people go to connect with you, learn more about Mailshake, all that good stuff? Yeah, um, connect me on LinkedIn, look up Jen Marley. Um, and then I have a, a newsletter as well uh, called Practical Prospect. You can sign up for that. Um, and you can take one of those deliverability consultation calls as well 